Hey, welcome to the Everyday Sniper. Wanted to uh, knock out some stuff. Hopefully my phone and stuff doesn't blow up. Uh, I've been getting some calls. I actually did a new fundamental eval and in their design studio. I kind of put it in a more logical order versus the one that I had. But in their design studio, it was right. But in the kind of PDF proof, it was wrong. So the guy actually been really cool. And he's been calling me up and letting me know um, what some of the issues have been. Lots of stuff since the last podcast, a lot of posts, a lot of things to catch up on, and I'm going to go over some of the um, comments, the Podbean comments, and I'll even uh, talk about some of the comments that were left on Sniper's Hide because we got a few of those. Uh, we answered a lot of the um, the Valkyrie stuff. There was a bunch of uh, the Valkyrie, Where let me get to where I am. Um, uh, talked about different scopes. You mentioned some had. We we'll love a second focal plane. Wait, where was this? That was three days ago. I'm trying to get back to um, where where I was here. So four days ago. Let's see if I answered any of these questions. Uh, all right. So I'm gonna start here with Ken. Uh, Ken did something four days ago. I played around with all the calculators. I'm shooting six five Creed more. From what I've seen, all the calculators seem to give a solution within one click. You could be successful with any of them. For me, science, knowledge, of shooting is easy part. I've been precision engineer. The hard part is the consistent fundamentals, trigger pull, hand position, shoulder pocket, blah, blah, blah. You have a lot of patience to work with some of the scopes, mounts, and rifles. I've seen people to try to make consistent long shots with. I get why they uh, go that route. Good stuff isn't cheap. Yeah, Ken's right. We do see a huge variety of stuff, and that's kind of where I come from and you know I get in arguments even today there was this bunch of you know fucking uh inbred Richard Keel was uh talking about uh TSA locks and all that stuff and everybody screams TSA locks are uh not authorized they are authorized and in places they can help you um if they're gonna steal your shit in the airport they're gonna steal everything so it's kind of a dumb argument to begin with you could bust into a master lock every bit as fast as a TSA lock and they do sell heavy-duty TSA locks. Now, I'm going to say something right here. I actually switched from TSA locks to a different set of locks because now, now back up. I have two different kinds of locks in my case. I have my TSA locks, and then I have regular locks, okay? Some airports, that, that you know, and everybody wants to argue about this, and I'm not going to get into the weeds there. But this goes back to, you know, kind of what Ken's saying about the variety. I go to a lot of places, a lot of different airports. I see a lot of different shit. So there are times when your rifle will go through and get flagged later. And I have been called back from the gate and they'll say, hey, open your rifle case. Now, if you have TSA locks, they open it, they put the tag in and it goes on its merry way. The downside is if they call you and you don't hear them because you're already at your gate, they'll cut your locks. And if you don't turn over the key and everybody's arguing, nobody else can have the damn key. Yeah, but TSA locks don't have a fucking key. They're combo locks. They have a key. You don't have a key to give to someone. And TSA is an agency, not a person. Giving them your lock is or your key is not the same. They don't want like... They tell you, don't carry a bag for anyone, okay? Does that mean don't carry a bag for your wife? No, it means don't have a stranger on the street say, take my bag to Orlando. That's what they mean. 
you know, you gotta, these guys are such fucking paranoid assholes, it's, it's funny, but anyway, I'm not gonna get into that, but yes, we see a wide variety, which is why I try to talk in terms of the 80%, not the 20 do you need TSA locks? No, not every airport do you need them, but in the airports where you do, they help, now what they did is, and this is the first time it ever happened, just last week when I did that Alaskan trip, United at Denver now makes you put the locks on, unhinge the case, and they do a finger slide-in thing. They finger bang your uh, case. They, the guy can fit his hand in like two knuckles, and he started walking in circles for 20 minutes and kept me there until he got a supervisor. So I went to shorter locks, which I grabbed master locks, and they're a shorter shank, so you can't unlock it because I've seen this happen before. And I did see it in, um, God, it was in Atlanta. I took my rifle, Tennessee, I think is when I went there, they did this at the counter. They want to see how, if, if somebody can reach in and grab something out of your case. So depending on how big the, the, the shank there is on your lock, then I don't know what they call it, the hook, the shank, whatever, how long your locks are, it can matter. But that's, part, you know, neither here or there. All right, Ryan Bowers, um... Ryan Bowers is Jesus. I didn't know he was Jesus. Frank, talk about the Harris being uh, the least common denominator. What's more improvement between the Harris to Atlas compared to Atlas to Elite Iron? What's the best value between an Atlas and an Elite Iron? Um, The Cal, Atlas Cal is probably in there. The long-range accuracy is really good. Um, The Thunder Beast, but you can't get it yet, is in that middle ground. But I think from a straight-up Atlas to a Cal is an improvement in itself because you take some of that movement out with the pod lock. Um, I'd have to look. There's a lot of bipods out there. But, I mean, for me, I'm an Atlas. I'm a Thunderbeast guy. Uh, the LRAs have always been great. And, you know, no drama there. Um, then he says, I look forward to hearing about the King of Two Mile coverage. I got to see what my schedule is for King of Two Mile. Um, I'm teaching a class. I think the weekend uh, it's happening or before I might make it the last day like I normally do. Um, what's the max distance you will drive um, until you fly somewhere? It almost depends on what I'm carrying. I don't like to drive more than like the 12 hours, you know, so if it's a, if it's a one day drive, I'm fine with that. If it's, um, you know, the flights end up being a six hour, even if it's a shorter flight. It You know, two hours before, the whole thing with the flight, two hours after, you end up having a six-hour day flying anyway at a minimum, you know. So um, it depends what I have to carry. I'll, I'll breach, I'll go around that 12-hour deal um, if I have to carry a lot of stuff like camera equipment and things like that. But uh, I, I used to not drive at all, but now I drive a little bit more. Uh, it's... Oh, Wilson, Wilson, 1970. You talk about the different scopes mentioned that some had target scopes. Um, would those be second focal plane and how did those work or did you just swap them out? No, um, target scopes are target. To me, a target scope is a target turret. The type of scopes we see are the hunting scopes, okay, which are usually limited big time. Then there's the lower cost scopes with uh, tactical turrets or target turrets is what I mean. Target turrets are the exposed ones that you can actually dial elevation. That's what I mean by a target uh, turret. A second focal plane scope is no issue. I use them. I have them. I, you know, it, it's not. 
LE still uses a lot of those scopes, so it's not a big deal. You have no drama with a second focal plane. And one of our, our Night Force that I actually use as a um as a, a uh, replacement scope, our, our backup scope, and one of the Night Forces there is a second focal plane. It's a 5 to 22. So we don't have any drama with second focal plane. I, I can care less if that's a scope you want to use. The difference is, is exposed tactical turrets, which allow you to dial. Um, we want guys to be able to dial more so. If you're a Horus guy and you want to hold, that's fine. But dialing tends to be better. Um, hey, Frank, I'm having trouble figuring out where the 224... Okay, and this is going back. This is one of the ones, Jack, Mason, Malcolm there. Uh, figuring out where this stands. I really love... I'll tell you, I mentioned it in the other podcast with the 224... Part of the problem with the Valkyrie is when they had issues with the 90 grain ammo and they kind of threw it out there to people, it was not where it was supposed to be and it was an ammo sort of chambering deal and not a caliber gun. Although you could say because it was in the bullet, but the 90 grainer was the problem, okay? And so... The 88s are great. The 75s are great. The 90s, I tried to grab some today. The 90s have been changed. Where they stand, I can't say. I thought I had a case of them here, and I don't. And when I went to Mile High and asked them for some today, they didn't have it. So um, the 88s are fine. Where do they stand? So my problem is I get to choose one barrel. I'm a broke family man. I get that. I've got the large calibers for hunting, but for pure target, would you ever consider a 224 or the 65 Creed? I would rather go with the Creed. I think the 224 is more of um, you know, like I said, your wives, your kids. For me, with my shoulder being jacked up, it really helps. You gotta work with a Valkyrie, especially after 600. The Creed is a better buy. So I'm I'm a Creed fan. And, and, um, you know, that's kind of what I would say to, um, uh, uh, Jacko Mason, Malcolm, blah, 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 blah. I like the Valkyrie. I really enjoy shooting it, but it's not something where you just drop and hit once you get past those longer ranges. A 6.5 Creed's going to treat you better. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting my Nucleus and Valkyrie together. Thanks for all the info on the cartridge. Yeah, that was a good one. I, I liked uh, where I was going there. Hey, Frank, you don't have to justify shit. Well, I kind of feel I do because a lot of people like to go out there and insert what I say. He's talking about the shit talkers, man. He's saying, you know, forget the goes. You're like the Donald Trump of precision rifle. Everything you say gets picked apart. True. And that's why I want to make sure I clarify it. Because just like with the TSA crap, they want to twist your words and take it out of context. You know, guys are running in and saying, don't use TSA locks. No TSA locks. TSA locks are against the rules. No, they're not. You tell them that, and then they all start arguing, and they twist your words. Bunch of bullshit. Fucking assholes. Richard Keel's a douche. Um, I hate it when Mike goes limp. Yeah, uh, you know, I can't do anything about that. Maybe you guys should get some Viagra together. You supply the Viagra, Mike will stay not limp. I don't know what that even is in context to. Frank, what should I use to true my Kestrel muzzle velocity or VC? I watched the new video from PRN. Is one better than the other? He's in that middle ground. I watched Joel's video. Uh, Joel did a good job, and I wanted to talk about that. Um, generally speaking, 600 yards and in, you true with muzzle velocity. 
800 yards and out, you chew with BC. Now, the way he did it, and he didn't need a lot of truing, which was great. The fact that he was able to just tweak that BC, that little tiny bit, is really, really good. So, yeah, man, um, we actually just did a similar thing. Um, when Mike, we mentioned the, the 300 yard drop stuff doesn't work. Okay. We tried it across the board with bigger classes and people with varying skill sets. We're seeing three guys have an issue. So we put a 600 yard target up the last day of the class before uh, we went home. Cause we're going to do it at six as well. So what Joel did is a great starting point. And here's the deal. If you're shooting a thousand yards, that's a money way of doing it. It's quick, easy, and it's really good. The problem is, is there's some shooters out there? Because don't forget, there's a there's an element of you in that. Truing is not just truing the gun to the rifle to the bullet. It's truing the gun, the rifle, the bullet, and you. Okay, if your fundamentals are lacking, that's going to show up in your shots. So um, you can do exactly what Joel did. Uh, we're going to be doing that in class, except we're going to probably use muzzle velocity because we shoot out the 1,400 with everybody. So more than likely, we'll true them at 600 with muzzle velocity. We'll take either the 8 or further target and tweak their um, BC there. But you don't want to tweak a BC shorter than 600 yards. You don't get the results. Now, this is where the downside of um, the box, right? BC on the box, that's set up for 300 yards. That's why people say it's not right, it doesn't work, it's marketing, it's blah, blah, blah. Because 300 yards will give you that somewhat bigger number. And then it doesn't really line up when you're shooting at 1,000 because it needs to be trued now. So truing BC, that six, eight, or a thousand is fine. Um, I got no drama with what Joel did. I think he did a good job with that, and he did it on paper, which was nice. So um, you know, it it, it can go either way, but that's the perfect middle ground. And if you're a thousand yard shooter, you could do exactly what Joel did. Uh, no issue there. So that was from um, Six Gunner. KCH here. Uh, hey, Frank. Keep seeing banners on the hide for the Remington 700 PCR. Have you used it yet? What are your thoughts? I have not used it. Um, yeah, uh, they get the uh, Remington, Leopold, and companies like that put banners on my site through marketing companies. I don't deal with them. Um, you know, it's from a third party that does that. It's a, it's a banner ad buy. But... We are using the 700 with the Ashbury that's getting trued up and looked at. So um, it should be fine, man. We're using those barreled actions in the APO, but APO just goes through them. That's the only difference. But I can't help you on the PCR. I have not shot that rifle. I've only shot recent 700 barreled actions. Um, doing a barrel swap at this point, I'm torn between this is for Shamtastic, uh, between uh, ShamWow. 260 or 6547. He's not interested in a 65 Creed more. Um, 260's better, dude. Uh, the 6547, I think the it's it's expensive. You know, not that the 260 isn't. I think you're gonna lose a lot of muzzle velocity and a hand load compared to a 260. 260 is faster than a 65 Creed. It's definitely faster than a 6547. The downside on the 260 is if you load those bullets long. 
You risk catching the lands and pulling a bullet out. And then magazines, okay? So if you load a 260 really long, then you run into problems. That's where the 47 came in because it allowed you to load it long to the lands without pulling the bullet out and still fitting in a magazine. But I am a 260 super fan. I've been shooting it since 2001. I love a 260. And so I would go in that direction. Uh, is there a benefit of the small primer? Yeah, some people think there are. Um, for what we're doing, not so much. You know what I mean? There's probably some some benefit. No, don't give me. To me, if you're going to do a 6547, neck it down to a 6 and do a 647. Okay? All you got to do is just, I I don't see the need for a 6547. I don't see kind of where it fits in the hierarchy as well. Don't get me wrong. I got one sitting right here. Two feet behind me is my mousing field at 6547. Okay? I'm not a fan. I do it. I use it. It's fine. I shoot factory. Factory's mega expensive. Really, really slow. But... It's inherently accurate because of that smaller case. Put it this way. That case is what the 6mm GT is based off of. They're just changing the shoulder. It's a great case. Turn it to a 6mm. You'll be a much happier guy. All right. Uh, Going to need a no BSS on Mike's Barbecue for the guys in uh, Kansas. Oh, Kansas City Mo. Um, It was good, man. I hate to say it. We went to Mike's house on Saturday night. Paul and I there. Paul's one of the guys from uh, my high Army Ranger dude. Good guy. Works the phones. We devoured half a friggin'. There was three racks of ribs. Paul and I probably ate a rack apiece, man. It was that good. Now, his barbecue sauce was off the shelf, so don't expect anything fancy in the sauce-wise. But the meat? I gotta give him props for the meat, man. Um, I, I was... I ate a lot of it. So that has to say something, you know. It's hard. It's hard to really um put Mike's stuff down. I smelled it coming across the street, you know. So Mike did a good job. I'll give him props for that. He 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 does it better. I'm gonna throw him a dig, man. All right, ready? Okay, let's see how sensitive guys get. He does better at barbecuing than he does at podcasting. <laughs> put it that way <laughs> so if you need barbecue you know get a hold of mike he didn't know he did a good job carlos what is he laughing at oh uh, laugh my ass off uh wife officially hates you she really doesn't your wife loves me come on <laughs> wife officially hates you i was cooking breakfast listening to you and i guess she was calling me for five or six minutes what are you doing you've been calling you are you listening to that fucking sniper guy again? First you want another rifle, then you don't listen. Question mark, explanation point. Dude, your wife's hardcore. Carlos, if I'm ever in Arizona, which I think you're in Arizona, if I'm ever in Arizona, remind me, I'll take your wife out to dinner for you. I don't know what to tell you, dude. <laughs> That's funny. The Heckman. Hey, Frank, I'm sure missed it somewhere, but could you do a podcast on the benefits of the left-hand gain to his barrel over standard? Yes, I can. Um, the Got a lot of them. Got another in the queue. Uh, Left-hand gain twist. This goes back to the turn of the century with Pope. Look up under the NRA and different thing, Pope rifles. Okay, Harry Pope. He was a gunsmith. He was a competition shooter. He was a handcrafted. In, in a word, he was the George Gardner of his time. 
okay? He was the guy that put his finger on the scales. His record in silhouette shooting lasted 47 years, okay? He was a left-hand gain twist proponent. And that gives you the history and the background. The problem was with modern machines, you got to understand, like a lot of the rifling machines, they put a gear on it. And they say, oh, you want a 10 twist? They pull this gear out, and that runs the machine on a, on a rail with a gear at a specific twist rate. So doing a gain twist was very difficult. Now, there are sort of elements of button cut, like um, cut rifle with Rock Creek, have a certain amount of gain to it because of tooling steel and methodology but it's tiny you barely see it you know so they'll tell you oh you have a 10 twist well maybe it's like starts at a 10 and ends at a 10 too you know 10 to quarter so you never really see it but now with Bartlin they're using CNC computer controlled custom made rifle cut machines so the computer makes it and talking about you know guys were on this over spinning kick, you know. Oh, we want a seven twist six five, we want an eight twist thirty cal, and there's a lot of negatives to that. Why they go in that direction, especially you military guys listening, you got fucking sold a load of bullshit. All right. You can overspin something if you reduce velocity, but you can't overspin and keep the velocity where most of us want it. You wreck bullets, you deform, you do a lot of different things, you cause problems. And this is well documented as well as not so well documented in, you'll get flyers, pressures, flyers, the carbon rings, all kinds of little dramas that happen when you push something too hard and overspin it. And the weak link in that equation is the bullet. You deform the bullet, you destroy the bullet, the bullet can come across in mid-ear, especially like with the six millimeters and stuff. I don't know if you guys have ever saw, somebody will shoot about 300 yards down range, there's a gray puff, and there's nothing hits the target. I just posted a picture of shots at 100 yards with a bullet coming apart where it's bleeding powder. Or not powder, but it's powder, but it's lead. It's bleeding lead out of the bullet because it ripped the jacket and deformed the lead, and now things are happening. So for a right-handed shooter in the Northern Hemisphere, you want a left-hand gain twist because the recoil becomes more in line with our body, doesn't want to get away from you. When you're in alternate positions, it's a straighter, smoother recoil. Think about silhouette shooter. Silhouette shooter shooting like offhand positions and he wants to hit these little bitty targets and stay on target and not be moved around. Recoil management, right? It lends to recoil management. The positives I found with the gain twist is it likes a variety of bullet weights and does not care. It's like, dude, I'll load this one, load that one, load this one. My 260 Tika with the left-hand gain twist my 136 Lapua load, which is a hand load going like crazy fast, and my 130 Prime load, my Box Factory Prime load, those two loads zeroed in the exact same spot. They were identical. I could shoot 10 rounds. You can't tell them apart. They only start to deviate at distance when the 136 BC starts beating out the 130. Okay? 
So the left-hand gain twist, we found none of the negatives, but we have noticed positives. Now, you ELR guys, we right now, we're to the right. And why they did right? Machines went to the right. So right-hand twist. And the people will say, whoa, spin drift goes to the right. Well, if you left-hand, it goes to the left. But then Coriolis, they talk about. And this stuff is microscopic, but it's still there. So now here's the problem. And this is what I don't get. If you're going to advocate for getting rid of spin drift, dialing on Coriolis, why would you not cancel them out in the gun instead of trying to get your software to calculate them when they can't calculate it? They're guessing. Okay? So left hand is countered in the northern hemisphere. You guys in Australia should be doing right-hand gain twist, okay? Up here, we would do left-hand gain twist. We're in the Northern Hemisphere. Lee Enfield, back in the day, turn of the century, before all the Industrial Revolution stuff, left-hand twist rifles in an Enfield. You know what I mean? They cancel out the things. Instead of going 2 plus 2 is 4, oh, I have to correct for 4, let's go 2 minus 2 and forget about it. That's what I'm doing I'm stacking up the left-hand gain twists now because people are ordering them. Mile High's got them in stock. Grabbed it right off the shelf. Boom. There you go. Um, now, the next question, that was the Heckerman asked about that. The next one is a gain twist. How do you put your left-hand gain twist in software? Well, the like Hornaday's app, and we mentioned this, doesn't have left-hand, so don't even worry about it. Just to turn off the... I don't use... The Spindrifter Coriolis is the only left and right deal for your app. So I turn that shit off anyway, so I don't care. I just want a straight up win number. But in software, you put the exit muzzle twist, okay? Your twist rate, your um, bullet length, and your azimuth to target along with your latitude is for Spindrift and Coriolis. I turn both of those off in any software I'm running when I can. With the Kestrel, I zero out and put um, the wind zone one at 12 o'clock and zero. Wind zone two, I'm looking for my straight wind call. Then when you look at the Kestrel, um, wind one will have like some numbers in there for spin drifty and aerodynamic jump and all that other crap. Jimmy D, fuzz is itching. So I'll... Um, I'll turn that one off and ignore it. And then the second one is just a straight win call. So in software, uh, most of my software I use other than Hornaday is the only one that doesn't. I, I just, you know, put it in uh, as far as left hand. And then for the gain twist, you put the ending twist, either 7.5, 7.7, whatever I happen to be with the 6.5s. Usually between that 7.5 and 7.7 is where it ends up. So that goes in your software. Oh, I just killed my app. So that's what goes in your software. Uh, just the ending muzzle velocity, not the beginning. You you put in where it ends. But I don't sweat it. Like if you go to JBM, like we talked about, there is no twist rate. There is no bullet length. There is none of that spin drift and stuff in trajectory simplified. You'll see it works out great. Um, so this is this is a good couple one. Um, Savage with an Oryx chassis would be a great setup for a budget or a Savage and a KRG Bravo. Yes, agreed with Savage. MDT combo really kills me with my gun. Um, you know, I don't know what that if it if it he's got the short one. I'm guessing uh, a blade maker has the um short MDT, not the long. So I go online onto like checking out Facebook really quick yesterday. 
and I got a message request. One of them's from a guy from Savage. So I'm like, uh uh-oh. Well, I didn't know who it was. They're like, hey, I got a, you know, somebody linked me to your podcast in regards to Savage. I went, okay, do you work for Savage? I didn't know who he was, and I didn't look. So I went, okay, do you work for Savage? He's like, yeah, I do. I'm the precision rifle guy. I was like, oh, shoot, I'm going to get an earful. No, he was. It was great conversations, man. Savage is listening, and it's funny because uh, you know I talked. Uh, we we proed and conned everything. You know what I mean? And um, we we had a good conversations. We were on the same sheet of music. They they they're not just trying to you know shoot down what I said. The the, the end of the conversation was it's being addressed and it's finally being addressed, kind of in a big way. You know, so it's not so much where it's like one or two guys within Savage are, are beating their head against the wall. It's it's kicked up far enough where guys now know. And so um, that that's a good, positive thing. They weren't defensive. They weren't, uh, you know, angry. And it's funny because he's like, they started getting into some PRS, some matches. They started doing some stuff. They put a little team together. And this is kind of the core crew of people who are now tasked to move forward. And he had his Savage in an MDT ACC. And I was like, dude, that's like the perfect combo. Look at the elements. And they loved it. They're like totally dig their barreled action in an MDT ACC. And I said, look, you know that look at right there. Um, you know, look at all the elements you're solving for. And that's where you guys should be going versus this carbine envy that you have. And I don't, like, how I talk to you guys is how I talk to them. You know, there's no major differences in what we're, what we're saying, you know, or at least me. So it was definitely a great phone call. I got to give props to the guys from Savage to, to step right up in front and say, hey, Frank, here we are. Let's, let's have a conversation. And we did. So I think, you know, come SHOT Show next year, you're probably going to see a shift in the one element or, you know, maybe two elements. We talked about the, the, the scope rail. We talked about the chassis, you know, chassis or stocks. We talked about all these different things. And no, he it was all good, man. Like I said, I'm not going to out him in case somebody from Savage is like, oh, you shouldn't say anything. But no, it was all good, man. I really, I really appreciated that call. Oh, hang on a second here. All right, I had to bring uh, Fuzz out for a second. He was very adamant to go and, and do that. So, um, yeah, so I don't know where I was, but with Savage. Anyway, um, that was all good stuff. So uh, let's get into some of these guys. Everybody's kind of got – that's all most of the questions, I think. Uh, let's see here. Um, really kills him with his gun. Savage, KRG, miss something. All right, I think I got everybody as far as the ones to get caught up on. Um, let's load a couple more and just see. Next podcast upload, good shit. Mentioned being a fan of people using, um, for 6.5. Oh, you mentioned not being a fan of people using, how do you feel about a Kdex crack? And yeah, the, I think I answered this one, but the Kdex, I didn't see any issues with the Kdex. Um, it's, the, the thing with the AXMC, just so you guys know, it's the OEM barrels, man. It's not, if you get somebody to build your, your, your barrel to your rifle, you don't see the problems as much. It's the OEM stuff off the shelf because most of those were spec to the 308. 
And when they change it to 6.5, it's not exactly perfect. And, and I think you start to see a little bit of space there. And that's why they change it to the small firing pin. Like I said, I've had AIs with large firing pins shooting 6.5 calibers. But they were all paired. The, the, the barrel was made to the rifle. And the only time I ever pierced a primer uh, with a large firing pin before moving to the small firing pin was when I used an OEM barrel. Um, I had an OTM tactical barrel, super accurate, super, um, you know, good barrel and all that. But when it got hot, it pierced primers, you know. So then I swapped that out to the, um, to the small firing pin and it didn't happen anymore. So I tend to think it's the OEM barrels versus getting one match to your receiver. It's funny because we have these switch calibers and, you know, actions do vary a little bit in, in, in all this stuff. And so to me, I'd want to match that spec to my action and then move forward. But we're all pretty much, you know, go on the phone, go on the computer and just hit, uh, you know, hit buy. And, and it shows up in the mail, you know, which is great and it works, but you have to put all those elements together for it to work perfect. And, and that's kind of the missing point of all that. Let me see if I can get over on the website here um, uh, and find uh, some of the questions that were in the forum because we had some stuff going on and there was a big one in the forum I wanted to, to talk about. So there was a question about the rifle setup episode and software setup. So um, uh, just it's a long question, which is the form's great because this guy's like, hi, I'm just getting into precision shooting and I've been catching up on the podcast starting with the first one. He's hearing the different stuff. I mean, this is the thing with doing, you know, this is a, what, 171 episodes that we're, we're repeating and mentioning, but it's like a piece in this episode, a piece in that episode, a piece in another episode, or we're clarifying, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're talking about one thing like the, the game twist, you know, I've mentioned it before, but you know, you don't always find it. It's, I don't write great. Um, I don't write uh, great ad copy for the podcast. You know what I mean? Like, my descriptions are terrible. I'm not hitting on keywords. I'm not hashtagging. I'm not doing a whole lot of things I should be doing as a descriptor. Um, so you, you end up losing it. So questions come around and the questions come around. So he was asking a bunch of stuff. Um, he wants to, I'm, I'm hearing things like true range zero, 100 yard zero, scope tracking, truing BCs. Trying muzzle velocity, form factor, wind tools to help integrate environmental factors. Okay, so the true range zero is not only a Hornaday thing. You can find it in the Cold Bore app and in other places. It's basically taking your 100-yard zero and measuring it perfect. If you have an eighth of an inch offset, that's not to say you have a 100-yard zero. It might be 157 yards as far as, you know, technically correct so it's a Finnegan thing how much do you want to dig into these problems you know for us if I'm within a click I'm a happy camper because most pieces of steel will account for a click or two error up and down I mean you know an Ipsic plate at 800 is 3m away tall you know more if you add the head in so it's it's big, 
You know, if if 3M away plate is huge, man, that's that's what? That's like three, three tenths of a mil is one M away. So that's almost a mil of variation. If you measure a target and look at it, how tall it is and its variation, they're usually big, which is why we say put a waterline on there. Put your reticle on the waterline so you always have that good point of aim, point of impact. Where are you in reference to the waterline? We talked about Joel's video, right? Joel put a waterline on his paper. So it's easier than almost, if you have a bigger target, you put that line right across the center where you want to hold. Like if you notice a lot of my steel, I put it high chest because I don't want to hit like dead in the top of the stomach, the, you know, diaphragm. I end up putting the waterline a little bit more high chest. So there's that. But a waterline is a point of aim, point of impact reference that's sometimes better on farther targets or steel than a bullseye, a circle. Whenever you're doing those targets, you want to quarter them, right? So we want a reference point to quarter it the same. With a bullseye, you'd want to intersect at 12 and 6 and 9 and 3, which are reticle. Well, with steel that's odd-shaped, by putting that horizontal line across, you put your horizontal reticle on there and you and you look at yourself plus or minus. So that, that again comes down to how detailed you want to get into where your impacts are on something like steel. Understanding those targets tend to be big. Two, three, four M away. A lot of fudge room in there. If you're a click or two off and you're missing the plate on a plate that big, there's something else going on. So there's that. Um, and then, you know, we talked about uh, scope trackings. Is Scope is your biggest point of weakness, all right? So your scope is going to be the weak link in your system next to you. There's you, there's your scope, then your rifle load and ammo combination. The scope is why your biggest point of error is going to be in scope tracking. We, we mentioned your sub $2,000 scopes. The average is about a 2% error. When you get into the you know two thousand to three thousand dollars scopes, that goes down considerably. You know your error is much more smaller across product lines. So that's what we're looking at. We're looking at where that error factor comes in with return to zero, with tracking, and with things like that. And with your lower budget scopes, man, you got to really check. I mean, we check them with our big dollar scopes. You got to check them with the lower ones, bit much more, because that's a point of error. Truing BCs, we mentioned that. True BCs at 800 or more. Like the, what Joel did at six was fine, but, you know, definitely at a little longer range. And form factor, form factor is what Hornaday uses instead of BC with their Doppler data. They're getting away from a BC model and they're looking at the combination of elements. With me, and I mentioned this, my shorter rifle when I went to Hornaday and shot on their Doppler had to come up with the form factor. My standard rifle, which was pretty close to, you know, 24-inch consistent speed, blah, 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 was a zero form factor. There was no deviation from the median line there. But what you do is if you're, if you're you know, higher or lower, will bring your form factor up and down. It's a way of truing without using BC and muzzle velocity. That's what you're looking to do with form factor. Um, and I answered this in there as well. And the guy got a lot of really good answers. Um, you know, uh, Slayer 2C came in and said, step one, sign up for the online training. The online training has been going great. I posted the two videos this week. 
So that went off really well um, on rifle setup and um, some different things. I even got into position and put the scope on right in front of you. Um, and then follow the guide for the lesson of orders and stuff. What else do we have? Uh, I gave him that. Thanks for the info. I have 800 yards. Uh, I will have to try 800 yards. I don't know how good it will be at 800. It's only a 308 gas gun with a 16-inch one and eight twist. Yeah, I don't know. He's 25-10. At 800, he's fine. 25-10 with a 178 at 800 is fine. Um, should be no problem. Uh, and then what do we got here? 700 pushes 175s at 20. Yeah, so guys are just answering. Uh, what's your thoughts on theoretical askery of a gas gun able to shoot at one MOA at 1,000 yards out of a 16-inch barrel? Well, depends. I mean, gas gun, we, we had this conversation. Um, gas guns are accurate, man. There's a whole POF thread and the whole thing. I have, it's, gas gun is shooter dependent. And modern ones are much better than the older ones. It, it's, again, it's movement, recoil, time, you know, lock time in the system. Think about that hammer has to come up. It's all in that lock time with a gas gun. You know, you have to really stay engaged with that rifle longer if you want to shoot it like a precision rifle. Um, so, you know, that's where that goes. Let me see if there's any other, uh, bigger questions here coming up. Random dropout problem on Android. What is this? Somebody had, um, what does this say? Ignore audio focus request. I turned this on and off and it seemed to stop crashing. Only test sample of two podcasts, but it seems that at least my phone, somebody's, I guess he's having issues with the Podbean app in Android. I don't know. I don't listen to it on Android. I have one. Maybe I'll check. For what it's worth, I started using the Google Podcast app, and I've had better luck than with Podbean. Okay. I've been having the same issue ever since I started listening to the podcast. I thought it was just an issue with my phone and connecting with my Ford work. I've never had the ignore audio focus request turned on and still had issues. I'm going to try Google. I don't know what's going on. Same issue. Super annoying. Didn't know Google had a podcast app. I didn't either. Um... I'm having similar issues with the Podbean. I download on Wi-Fi, so I get them when I want. Some of the episodes download super fast. Some just switch in to fail download again and again and again. Seems like the ones that fail a lot are also super slow. That's weird. I also, uh, some download fine, but can't play them. I recently did the Podbean upgrade. Didn't help. I didn't know there was another option. iTunes, I guess. So Android, Google, and iTunes. I used the app today with my... Motorola listened to two Everyday Sniper podcasts and one from uh, Mike Drop and a No Drop. Um, I think I found my new podcast. Podcast apps are spyware, whatever that means. Um, I use the Podcast Attic app, no problems at all. So I guess there's options out there. I don't know anything about the technical issues. If I can't re recreate it or I don't hear it, I don't chase it down. So I can't really tell you about these um these issues with the Podbean app. I was not really caught up and aware of what was going on with that. Um, What do we got? Alaska one. We got that. The after action. Hornaday Ford off. What's the question here? I'm running some scenarios to Ford off and I don't see any inches of drop. Am I missing it? On the screen with the drop wind data, click on the red letters that say come up and select inches. Um, Yeah, you could do it. Don't do that. The inches of drop are on. Don't, don't do it. It don't work. Ignore the whole discussion we had on inches of drop. It, uh, we did it at Gunsight. It did work for everybody, we think.
But we had other issues there with like them doing the tracking. They did it with a laser that had like a two inch circle at the hundred yards. And we found problems with that. I think 600 yards, kind of what like Joel did in the video, is a good starting point for guys to true their app if they have access to that, and that puts you right in the middle of um, right in the middle of your range. You know what I mean? And and uh, kind of goes towards some guys say happy birthday to Mike. Um, couple questions for the everyday sniper. Okay, what are these? So my first question is, is in apps like Tracer, um. Where it shows elevation or windage reading, it says range 611 yards, elevation 3.46 MRADs. Are you rounding up? Yeah, you can round up or down. If it was three, he, so first question is in apps with your MRAD reading. You only can dial 3.4. So when it says 3.42, 3.48, yes, round up or down. That's all I do. Um, I, I, I round because you can't dial that. Okay, um, are you rounding up? I haven't played around with it much. It seems that if I use the 10th, I do fine, but I was shooting a steel coyote at 770 and couldn't hit it unless I rounded it. Grand, it was 498. Yeah, dude, round it up. It's 498. You know what I mean? It's it's. There's a lot of error in what we're doing. Rounding it up is not going to hurt anything. You're adding a click. It, how wide was your coyote at 770? That's 0.36... Rounding up from 4.9 to four to 5.0, that's 0.36 times 7.70. You know what I'm saying, dude? So when you look at that, that's how much you're actually moving. So 7.7 times 0.36, that's 2.75 roughly. I'm rounding down now. Two and three-quarter inches. That's the movement. Why? So how wide is your coyote? We put this little bitty coyote at 900 yards. He's about three inches wide, not counting his legs. So one click should not should only knock you off at 770, two and three quarter inches. There you go. That's kind of why you, you really got to kind of look at where, where the, the, the errors are coming from. And then also would like to be a way to change the mile proper wind formula to just correlate with the amount of mills we are dialing instead of the... 100-yard markers. The reason I ask is wouldn't all six-mile-an-hour guns dial around the same elevation out to, or am I missing something? Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess so, but it's still because everybody's doing something different. You're better off just figuring out what mile-an-hour gun you have, and then that's your numbers. So you, how you work those numbers is up to you, you know? Um, he wants us just to say, oh, it's this, but, you know, at six... But one guy's got a six, one guy's got a five, one guy's got a four, one guy's got a five, one guy's got a four. And they're not always exactly five miles an hour. They could be 5.3, 5.7, you know, 4.9. It's all this, there, there's a fine-tuned element to that. But again, we're looking at the fact that most targets will take up that error. We're trying to get you down and dirty and simple with that kind of stuff. It's easier to say 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, 0 0.4, 0 0.5, 0 0.6 um, with whatever mile an hour gun you have. Uh, try not to overcomplicate it. What's this bipods question? Uh, blah, 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 blah. I answered it online, but let's see what they're saying here. Oh, so um, low light and Mark, I have talked a lot recently about the importance of a good bipod, not knowing any better. So this is on... KCH who posts on the Podbean app and he's on Sniper's Hide Forum. Okay. Um, 
not knowing any better, I kind of scoffed at it thinking it couldn't possibly make a huge difference. Well, this past weekend, I ditched my $30 Amazon Harris-style bipod and got an Atlas BT-10. Turns out they were right. My group shrunk almost in half on paper at 100 and 200 yards. Thanks, guys. So he has the Ballistics X app, and he's showing his group size at 200 yards, and his group size is a .3 MOA. So he's a .6 group. He's .3 MOA. Um, you know, so he's shooting that stuff, and and we're saying it matters. And then we have another uh, Nick H, who's always on everything, and big guy um, on the on the site. Uh, you know, as far as that goes, I totally agree. I took Low Light's review of the Elite Iron to heart, and I moved from the Atlas 5H to that, and was amazed at the stability improvement on my AIAT. Elite's iron spigot mount is rock solid along with the improvement when placing the bipod's focal point above the barrel. So, yep, it's it, it's in guys are just talking about the demonstrations and that we're seeing here. Frank, what are your thoughts on being able to slide an Atlas on a dovetail versus the fix? I use the dovetail. I like it. Um, so I'm sliding my Atlas all over when I need it. And then Casey comes back on and says, I was really blown away by the difference. Now, at this point, I don't think I have a setup ready to make the most of Elite Iron shooting a factory 20-inch 308, especially since my range only goes to 200. But when I start shooting farther, I definitely want to go in that direction. There's also something to be said about the confidence boost for a new shooter like me. I was starting to think I couldn't do better than one MOA groups with my gun, so I've declined opportunities to shoot further distances so not to make a fool of myself. Now I feel like I can stretch my skills out farther. This is a big thing we talk about. So Mark and I will have somebody in a class. And maybe they're shooting not a great rifle, but it should be a sub-minute rifle. And then they have what we consider to be an inferior bipod. All right? Well, we'll switch them. And we immediately see this, what we're seeing. Groups cut in half. That is immediate and for all the guys and again this goes back to the whole you know facebook fucking losers you know richard keels inbred um it goes back to uh what do you call it guys who you know but my buddy does great in prs with a harris i've been shooting a harris forever and it's great my groups are fine with a harris yeah they kind of are but you could do better you know what i mean that's like saying why use software why why ask why you know why go in this direction it's a fix it's a fix for a reason it's physics you can't argue the fact that 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 the the stand the 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 spread the i mean we have it in the video we have a triangle and we show you you can balance your barrel on the top of the triangle or you can hang your barrel inside the triangle what's going to be more stable and just how, you know, Harris's are the lowest common denominator and one I actually don't really recommend anymore. But if that's the route you got to go because of budget, it'll get you to the next place. But they're out of square. They bounce on springs. They're stamped. They're made in the same machines from the 60s and 70s or whatever the case may be. Then you look at modern stuff. Look at that. Like we're having such great. I was talking to Randy today at Mile High. And we were, we were talking about bipods and stuff because uh, he was unzipping a uh, cal for himself, an Atlas cal, and he was putting it together for him. And he's like, yeah, you really, you know, I dig it. I said, oh, yeah, I love the cal. Cal's my new favorite. 
as far as bipods go, we're small, you know, but one I really dig and I said Mark and I both were mentioning and really, really like is the Thunder Beast. Now, I get it. It's not out yet. They're, they're behind. They're producing. They said they were giving Zach some, some grief over it, but um, the Thunder Beast really, really had positive results and you could see it. You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're shooting so well. You can see these changes. You know, without hand loads, without all these different things. And, you know, Mark hand loads a lot what he's doing, but I'm shooting factory, right? And and so I'm seeing great results with factory stuff. And guys always ask me, well, how do you get those results with factory ammo? Well, because I look at these elements and I incorporate that into my technique, you know? And so that's a big part of what we're looking at. And, and so yeah, I mean it makes sense. This is a this is a big. This is this is a big deal, you know. Um, and if you dude, fucking assholes, man, no love for the Skypod, dude, blow me. I like the Skypod. There's nothing wrong with it. Why do we have to mention every single thing? We don't. We're not talking about that. Yeah, the Skypod's great. Works really good in PRS. I would much rather have that. It does a grat. There is no that, but. You know, I'd want the feet in a different way when I'm going to be shooting, like, wide stance prone, you know? I, I think the feet are out a little bit, and I'd actually like them down a little, like a, some articulating legs more so, so I can get a different sort of purchase, because to me, it's a little too narrow, a little too small. But the Skypod's great. Why do we have to name every single product on the block to fulfill your need to be validated? You know what I mean? It's it's I get it. It's it's the same conversation uh, that, hey Frank, what do you think of uh, Bagara? Oh yeah, Bagara's good, man. I have no drama with them. Them guys do a nice rifle. It's inexpensive. It works out great. Oh good, because I'm bringing one to the class. Of course you are. That's why you asked me. I get it, and and that happens all the time. But it's like, god dang, man, dude. Just because we didn't mention your favorite doesn't mean we don't like it or don't say. We're talking about, and here's the clarification here. We're talking about elements of good supported positions right we're talking about the elements that make up a good bipod if your bipod has those elements it's fine if that's the one you want to use have at it dude who am i to tell you what you're going to use right i don't care you know i'll make fun of you later but anyway (laughs) so the thing is, it's elements. It's the wider stance. It's that bridge in the middle. So when you follow the line, when you take, put your legs out, follow the line of the legs. Does it put the X where they intersect over the top of the barrel? That's what we're looking for. We want we we're, we when we talk about the elite iron, when we talk about the cow, when we talk about the thunder beast in bipods. We're talking about the build and the elements that make it good. Like with the cow, they widened out that bridge a little bit so it doesn't come to a perfect, you know, point. And they put a pod lock so no panning. It's just got tilt with the pod lock. That's good elements. We like that. Locks up tight. It does everything you're supposed to, which is why we like the Victor Company tool. The Victor Company tool on the old Atlas locks it up tight and you don't get the movement. That people don't like. So it makes it a better bipod than a Harris. Because it's built better. It has some better elements to it. 
It's more flexible. It's more usable. Okay. But then people say, well, I don't like the pan and it moves and it, and it does. I, I'm, I'm with you. It's a field bipod, right? It's meant to be quick deployed, light, does a lot of things. Now you go to the cow and that's changing that to the better. The Thunder Beast, same thing. It's got elements in it that we like, that support marksmanship, that support the fundamentals, that support accuracy. That's what we're looking to do is put all those elements together in a product. And if your product meets those elements, but we don't mention it, it's just because there's too many to mention at any one given moment. I have a Cypod. I like a Cypod. When I shot rifles only, I didn't bring my Cypod. And there was a stage the Cypod had an advantage on. I borrowed Surge's Cypod. Hey, Surge, when you're done shooting that stage, give me yours. I'll put it on my rifle. I'll shoot the stage. I'll take it off and I'll give it back. Because it works. And especially in PRS. If I'm going to shoot PRS, the Cypod is an excellent, excellent bipod. There you go. Okay, no drama, man. It's like, goddamn, people fucking with their feelings and shit. Time I turn around, I got a hurt feeling. Oh, what about, what about, what about? Uh, shirts, backup scopes, SWFA. What I, I didn't see that. What is it? It wasn't surprised to hear that they're known quantity. Yeah, man, I like SWFA scopes. Um, I talk about it. They're a great backup scope. Um, you know, so definitely, definitely going on there. The Minnesota class. I haven't mentioned much about that. Uh, there, we had the updates, you guys, for the Minnesota class. I know it's filling up. Uh, we got a lot of slots. So for those who missed the announcement, the training section. So go to the Sniper's High training section. The public sign-up for Frank's Minnesota is now available. It's basic precision rifle at GRRC. And it's in the training section. And so that way there, if you wanted to come to that Minnesota class in August, you can... Um, we got some guys, and, and it's, this happens every class. There, there'll be guys, and I noticed with the Alaska stuff, guys, because we, we're, we're filling up so far ahead, you'll always have somebody drop out. So if you really, really want to get into a class and you have means, if you see we're having a class like a week or 10 days beforehand, if you know you can get to it, you should send us a note because it's not uncommon. And we, for us, a class is a concert, okay? I'm putting on a class. I'm going to be there whether you're there or not. If you buy a ticket to my class, if you buy a slot, that is your concert ticket. And this is from years of experience and learning how you'll get guys sign up for everything and show up for nothing. So you'll be there with what you think is a full class. And then, you know, when it comes time to pull the trigger, half the people aren't there because they, they signed up too soon. They signed up before they knew their schedule. And now they have to back out. Well, one, you'd get those half of those people want a refund. Yeah, the class still has to go on. I still got to get on an airplane. I still got to take care of what I got to take care of and do all this other stuff. So there's that. Well, then, you know, we said, listen, this is a concert ticket, dude. I'm showing up. You have a ticket in your hand. If you can't make it, you better go scalp your ticket and sell it. So go online, post it up, sell it. We'll let you move to a class within that year. So if you get a ticket and you can't come, well, maybe you can come to the next one. Well, you could bring that and tell us, hey, I'm going to come to the next one. And we limit that. You know, We can't have 10 guys 
with pass tickets come to the other one. You know what I mean? But we'll put two or three rollovers into a class depending on availability. So always look, if you're interested in a class, about 10 days before, if you can get there and um, you want to, you could probably get yourself a seat. So just so you know, um, that does come up quite a bit. Because uh, I just saw one today where somebody's like, hey, I can't make it to Alaska. Anybody want, or to the class, anybody want to um, uh, buy a seat? You know, like I said, the concert's happening whether you're there or not. Uh, happy birthday, Mike. Uh, all right, what do we got? D-Tax here. Something, he's got an 8-mile-an-hour gun with D-Tax. All right, so I'm trying to out the wind to see what's discussed on the podcast. My BC, according to Tub, in is a 620 at 3100 average. I'm comfortable with that BC, and my data tracking perfectly has been verified to 1030 yards. So in theory, I should have a 6-mile-an-hour gun. However, when putting the info into the different ballistic app, it takes 8 miles an hour to make the wind holds line up. Big question is, does that seem right? Uh... In Ballistics AE, it's a 6-mile-an-hour gun. 6-mile-an-hour starts out slightly less than 0.1 per 100, uh, but at 800, you round up. It's a 0.9 at 9 and a 1 at 1,000. This is at 0 DEA. An 8-mile-a-gun, at it's an 8-mile-an-hour gun at 8,000 DEA. Yes, because we got that 4,000 plus or minus with the DEA. Um, yeah, there is. There is. So he's asking, so here's the question. Is there a kind of ratio for shifting the mile per hour value of a gun based on DEA? Yes. One mile an hour, plus or minus, and I had this wrong originally, 4,000 feet DEA. I was saying 2,000 plus or minus. It's 4,000 plus or minus. Gives you an extra mile an hour or subtracts a mile an hour. So there is a lot of data there. There, there Guys are crunching numbers. Um. So that's that's what it is. Uh, I was screwing it up. Let's see. Uh, but what is he saying? His his like paragraphs are off. So give me a second here. I spent some time at DA looking for a way to accurately create constants for it. Doesn't work out. Percentage of previous. Percentage of originals. Stand observations. Um. Yeah, I'll have to go in and answer that. That's a pretty complicated question. But there there's tons of if you do searches for the wind. Wind math formulas, MOA, wind math, and all that stuff. We have them on there. Sniper's Hide's got... God, if I go down to the bottom here, let me go down to the bottom and look at my my stats. Uh, where, where is this online statistic? What do we got here? Usually it tells you like everything going on. Um, Maybe not so much here. Let's see. Forms. Let me see if I go down to the bottom. I mean, we've got millions of posts on the damn thing. There's like 3 million posts or something. Um, nope, doesn't show. Oh, here it is, forum stats. All right, so there's uh, almost 250,000 threads. There's 3.4 million messages. There's 135,000 members. You know what I mean? You're going to get your answer, and you're going to get your answer fast. And the nice thing is we don't suffer the fools, so it ends up being better. God, I guess I'm going past the hour, huh? Holy cow, I just keep talking and talking. All right, I better end this guy for you guys. <laughs> I didn't even realize I was past the hour. Sorry, guys. Anyway, that ain't no big deal. Uh, but I hope that answers all your questions. It was a good Q&A one. We had a lot of good stuff there. Um, I'm, I'm not on the one part. I don't have my push buttons for noises and machines. I'm on the other computer with a different mic. But uh, nope, that's good. You're listening to Frank, the Everyday Sniper. 
I'll be in Alaska this week, so expect another podcast from up there before I get started. Do another one in the Captain Cook in the morning, and uh, we'll try to knock some stuff out. I'll probably do one Thursday afternoon before I leave, too, because I don't leave until late Thursday night. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. I was on a roll on that stuff. God dang. All right, guys. Thanks.